Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the SmartCast Wrestling Podcast. This would be episode five. My name is Daniel. I'm with my co-host, Kevin. Today, we're going to be reviewing the Dominion uh, pay-per-view from New Japan Pro Wrestling, and we will also be doing our weekly Monday Night Raw review. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited from watching that Dominion event. It was a ton of fun for me and honestly exceeded my expectations. Absolutely. It was definitely a great show, and I can't wait to talk up on it. But before we do jump into our review, I do have some rumors and news that we would both like to address. The first piece of news that we wanted to discuss was that AEW announced that their fighter festival will be free to stream on Bleacher Report Live. I thought this was absolutely generous of a company to do, especially given that we're in a day and age where we're paying around $50 to $100 for a pay-per-view or usually paying for a streaming service to watch these kinds of pay-per-views. So I definitely want to shout out AEW because they are still proving to break ground as a new company within the wrestling world. Yeah, I think that's pretty incredible that they're uh, giving an event like that away for free. You don't see that too often in different promotions nowadays, especially when you're seeing something like uh, the boxing events that are charging like $100 for a fight. Um, I think this is honestly great for the fans and a great way to get new eyes on the product. No, absolutely. I'm definitely excited for the show. I mean, it's right in our backyard of Daytona Beach. You know, we live in uh, Central and South Florida, so it's pretty cool to see that this is right in our own backyard in Daytona and can't wait to see what kind of content they're going to put out with this one. There's some exciting matches in there, and I know that they're going to live up to what we can expect of these matches. So some of the news that we wanted to address otherwise was actually in regard to WWE's current talent situation. We know we've been discussing some of the disgruntled uh, talent that they do have in the back. And the most recent of news would actually be Mike Bennett and his wife, Maria Canellis. They keep tweeting about how their contracts expire in about a week. Maria's hinted at them leaving WWE and being underutilized. Mike continues to try to get a significant push from creative on 205 Live. And it makes you wonder what's going to happen with their future. Mike came from Impact Wrestling. And now with the birth of AEW, you wonder if maybe he might be headed over there. I would think so. I don't know where else he could really go besides maybe Impact Wrestling, like you said. But I don't know. I think for New Japan, he could fit in there. But the problem is there's so much overwhelmingly good talent there that I don't want him to get lost in the shuffle kind of like he is now in WWE. Uh, and then Ring of Honor is kind of in a low point right now. So, you know, I don't know if like that's the pl- best place for him to go either. So I definitely think AEW would be great if they did want to take him. I, I think he would really fit in with that scene perfectly. And if not Impact, he could also stand out really nicely on. Yeah, absolutely. He could always go back to Impact, especially now that they're under a new regime since he left. Uh, but I think AEW would just be the right fit for him ultimately because it's a company that has about the same platform as WWE. And will more than likely utilize him in the sense that he should be used. Another piece of news that actually came out, Velveteen Dream this week put up a, I don't want to say cryptic, uh, it was actually pretty revealing as far as how he felt about Vince and his creative process. He believes that Vince isn't to blame for poor content. And he even went as far as compa- uh, comparing Vince McMahon to George Lucas in the regard that George Lucas wrote the Star Wars episodes in multiple generations. So it makes you wonder if maybe how Velveteen Dream feels is in the sense that, as he said, that the talent should be to blame for failing to entertain the fans rather than blaming Vince because Vince has been doing this for years. And given that he's had these 
you know, past attempts at trying to get called up in the past, such as his attire at last year's NXT TakeOver New Orleans. Uh, you, you just got to wonder, is this him trying to work the situation in a reverse psychology type of sense? Or what are you making of this? Yes and no, I think. Because I don't know Velveteen Dream, obviously. So I can't speak for anyone. This is just speculation, obviously. Um, I think he's kind of like exaggerating and playing a little more into it than he should be uh, to just kind of work the fans and kind of get everyone talking about him again. Uh, because, you know, Velveteen Dream likes being the center of attention. So I, I don't think it'd be that out there for him to say something controversial. And especially when it revolves around Vince, because I think he also wants to catch Vince's eye. That's why he did the call me up Vince thing. I don't think he necessarily at the time wanted to be called up right then and there, even when he did pull that. But I do think that he wanted Vince to pretty much take notice. And I think he's also kind of set in his mind that no matter what he's given, he subscribes to the idea that no matter how bad uh, the promo may be or the storyline may be, that he will knock it out of the park because he's Velveteen Dream and he's the best pretty much. Um, so that's what, that's what I personally think. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure. I think he also just wants to get on Vince's good side so that he will kind of maybe let Velveteen uh, have a little bit of freedom there. But like I said, it's a speculation. Um, I'm not really sure. He could totally mean everything he's saying, for all I know. Uh, I just know it upset a lot of the fan base, a lot of the community. And I, I, I was like, I, I didn't like mind it. I definitely got me like speculating and talking about it too. But as as far as as what he said, I kind of also take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing we could always think of, and in all honesty, it's a good thing that I say this in a sense. You always got to think about the character he was given. Not a lot of people would really be able to make that character look good. And he just pulled it off with like such grace and excellence. And he brought it to a whole other level. And it shows how talented he truly is. I mean... I brought it up, I think it was in the first or the second episode. He's a product of Tough Enough. And these Tough Enough guys and girls, they usually kind of just fall through the cracks. You have the select few, and especially from this class, because like Mandy Rose and Sonia Deville came out of like that class as well. But Velveteen Dream is truly the one that has the most potential out of that. I think, you know, him using the reverse psychology is smart on his part, if he actually is. So this way he would be able to get, as you said, even in Vince's good graces. But to think it's actually going to be effective, I I don't think that's the way he has to go about it. And that's probably why he ended up taking down the post. Yep, I think that's why he took it down as well. Absolutely. So let's jump into this Dominion review. Uh, We're not really going to touch up on all of the matches. I I don't want to say, you know, too new. We've been watching New Japan for a little bit on and off. Uh, So we did tune into this. I was actually watching it live. Kevin watched it a little later on. And some of the key matches we were looking into really just revolve around the G1 tournament that's coming up. So the first one that we wanted to discuss was obviously the John Moxley match against Shota Yuminu. Uh, John got the victory. It was a very simple and quick match. It seemed just to really put John over. And then John announced his desire to be in the G1 tournament which is very exciting, and we'll go over you know, some of the potential participants a little later on. But after the match, John walked Uminu to the back and gave him a protege-like treatment, you know, and basically putting him under his wing and taking him on. I thought it was a pretty cool situation. John Moxley 
you know, is definitely on a roll in his first two matches. New Japan is definitely trying to, you know, milk the situation with him in the case maybe that AEW might pull the plug on him being able to be there. But him announcing to be in the G1 tournament is definitely huge given the value of the tournament and if you were to win it. Yeah, so to me, this was the match that it should have been. It wasn't supposed to be the show stealer of the night. It was supposed to be, you know, a match early on. I I believe it was the first match, correct? I think it was, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, like, the opening match, if not a couple of matches later. Yeah, yeah. So I just know it was, like, uh, one of the first few matches, if not the first one. So I think that's a really good way to get the crowd hyped up. The crowd popped big for, for John when he came out. So, uh, you know, I thought this was great. This was a, a great way to make John look strong. His finisher looks strong, like it has been in New Japan. And overall, just you can still see that it's kind of still Dean in, in his character in a way, but it's more just him now when he's doing these promos. And just the way that he presents himself now is, like, he's got this confidence now. And just he's got, like, way more. Whatever he was missing in WWE, he has it now. And, and I just love it. So while it wasn't, like, match of the year or anything like that i think it was exactly what it needed to be like i said and it woke the crowd up and uh was just kind of a one of those matches just to kind of put over john and you don't have to take away from the rest of the night with that match yeah it was definitely a very quick and easy process got the job done actually for both wrestlers i actually believe that shota uminu was able to get a little bit of a boost from wrestling a guy like john moxley and I'm kind of excited to see how John incorporates him into the role as far as the future goes. The next significant match to us was actually the Will Ospreay and Dragon Lee match. Will picked up the victory against Dragon Lee, and I honestly thought, in my opinion, this was the match of the night. Um, they seemed to have some flawless chemistry with one another. Will actually captured the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. And then he announced actually that he was moving to Japan. So there's two questions that you want to ask out of this situation, right? With that match being so flawless and let alone that he just had one match of the year candidate a few nights before that with Shingo, uh, Shingo you got to wonder at that point, is this one even a match of the year candidate? I mean, I, I was blown away by both matches, but I really like this one a lot more just for how smooth everything went through in this match. I have to agree with you. 100%. This to me, you know, we, we had talked about the match with Shingo already being like in that same caliber as the Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano match from TakeOver 25. But this match, honestly, I think was even better than the one with Shingo. This match with Dragon Lee was something else. Uh, there's something about their chemistry together. It just, it, it worked so perfectly. And Man, like, Dragon Lee is awesome. I I can't get over how fucking good that guy is, too. Yeah, and with the second victory, though, in a week for Will Ospreay, and considering all the changes that's happened in New Japan, and then especially now considering that he's moving to Japan with the help of New Japan, you have to wonder, is he the face of New Japan Pro Wrestling? I think they're definitely going to be building him up towards that. They keep putting over on commentary that he's been gaining muscle and getting bigger. So I think right now, yes, he, he's going to hold down that junior heavyweight division, which, by the way, they do such a good job on, on like protecting that division and bu- booking like a serious uh, division, unlike the cruiserweight division in WWE sometimes that's just kind of treated like nothing. Uh, I, I love just like how, how prestigious th- this title has become now with Will. And I think Will's going to be that guy that can... That 
that can be kind of like where Kenny was at one point can be your top guy. And with him gaining that, that extra weight and mass, I think that's definitely going to put him in the scene to eventually win the IWGP heavyweight championship. Yeah. And he even said, I think it was after he faced Shingo that he wanted to start facing heavyweight sooner or later too, that he wanted to just take over the entire division in general. And he can, he has everything to do it. He, and he especially does. because he's been getting even better on promo. Yeah, he, he's been he's been doing great, and I'm just excited to see what it holds for the future. It seems that New Japan Pro Wrestling is really headed toward an exciting time with some new faces and some new content going on as far as, you know, I, I guess a, a little bit of a shift in the tides. And then the match of the night to most people, especially in Japan, would be Naito versus Ibushi. And Naito picked up the victory over Ibushi. However, during the match, Ibushi took a very nasty bump. Uh, from a German suplex off the side of the apron, his head and his neck took a majority of the contact. And it just looked like, you know, throughout some of the night that he was like really like out of it. Like some parts, it looked like he really was about to pass out. Some parts, he just looked very spaced out and not himself. I mean, you know, these are the health concerns that come with wrestling. I just hope, you know, he, he takes the proper steps to make sure he remains safe because, how he took that bump, it just was not good. It did not look good at all. It, it was not a good bump at all. Uh, extremely dangerous, but I, I'm not going to lie. I, I loved it. I, I love this match. Both of these guys are fucking awesome. And this was my second favorite match of the night. And I, I can't say enough about it. I mean, it was, granted, obviously a very, very dangerous spot i don't want to say a stupid spot um because i have to respect what they do and and how they uh how they put their bodies out there for everyone but yeah i mean you you see that kind of thing and it's just like man how long do these guys are these guys able to wrestle like that yeah and i mean don't get me wrong because ibushi looks like he's in great shape it's just that when it comes to the head and neck that's nothing to play around with and hopefully it wasn't a spot that they set up where he would you know you know on his own merit choose to take that hit to the head and the neck. Hopefully, you know, they, they thought it was going to be to the back and that this was just, you know, a slip of the finger at that point. Yeah, but I, I was uh, happy to see Naito regain that Intercontinental Championship. No, absolutely, and this match had a lot of emotion involved in it. I mean, Ibushi attempted to pay tribute to Shinsuke Nakamura with a Kinsasha, uh, and he almost hit it, but then it was reversed, and a couple of seconds later, he was hit with the Destino, and the match ended up, you know, going a little further than that. A second Destino was hit on Ibushi. And the match ended with Naito and Ibushi still holding on to each other. So it, it just seemed like a very touching match. It almost seemed like a real-life anime, to be honest with you, the way that they portrayed it. Um, it, it just it was, a, it was a great match. That one had the best storyline to it. Even though I don't truly follow New Japan Pro Wrestling, I felt like I was invested into the story itself more so than the match. Yeah, I, I, and I just thought it was funny. Like, like we said, we haven't been watching New Japan. Like, we, like we're not like the the most dedicated fans to it or anything like that. So, like, we don't like know the story that much. Um, but from what we, what I understood from it, it's that they're trying to put over the fact that Naito is like just disgusted with Ibushi, and he just like he he's like he just hates him, and he's like trying to play up like this heel role. And like, I just like I know like I can just tell like they have like such respect for each other and they're probably like such great friends because you could just tell like their chemistry is is like on another level in that ring they're, and... they're almost like a japanese Shawn michaels and triple h 
Yeah, well, even better, honestly, because this is, I mean, Triple H obviously couldn't keep up with Sean as far as, I mean, storytelling, that was one thing, but like, uh, as far as in-ring talent, that was, that was a whole other thing, but these two are just like, so like, on each other's level, and it's just, it's so crazy to, to see like, Naito like, keep up with Ibushi, because like, Ibushi, Ibushi's like, way more like, jacked, it seems like, and like, seems like more of like that athlete that typical athlete you know a guy that like a vince body basically maybe a little on the leaner side sure and maybe not as tall but overall just this super jack guy and then you have like naito who's more like still looks like a wrestler but like not as like animated i guess in the body but like he's so animated like just in his like (laughs) everything he does pretty much is like extremely animated so like i I love it i love the dynamic they both have and uh, i i want to see more more from both of them i can't wait to see um the G1, though, I, I don't know if Ibushi's in it just yet. Yeah, he, he hasn't really been predicted as somebody who might participate in it, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main event of the night was Jericho versus Okada for the heavyweight championship. Okada ended up picking up the victory, uh, but the match seemed to be set. Well, the pace of the match set, it seemed to be set by Jericho. He seemed very in control. He was, you know, taking Ibushi all around the outside. and or, no, I'm sorry, not Ibushi Okada, all around the outside and getting at him any way, shape, and form. It just seemed like the match had to be at Jericho's pace almost. And it makes you wonder if maybe age is setting in a little bit, which I'm sure it is. Um, you know, and it makes you think about WWE and how WWE continues to go back to the legends for draws. But I don't necessarily want to throw Jericho in that category just yet. It seems like he has a lot left in the tank. And I don't even want to say that this match was necessarily bad, you know, as Undertaker and Goldberg got. And I hate to say that that match was bad. It just seemed that that just, you know, took a left turn once Goldberg hit his head. That's a whole other subject. But yeah, Jericho seems to still have a lot going for him, especially, you know, coming off his win in double or nothing against Kenny Omega. And I guess maybe because he was facing someone like an Okada who's a lot bigger than he is and, you know, younger than he is, that maybe they didn't want the booking to go a certain way where, you know, Jericho seemed to be something he might not be. And then when they pair him with somebody else, you know, wouldn't go as they expected. Yeah, so out of the matches I watched from Dominion, this was probably my least favorite um, more because of Jericho than anything. He, like you said, he just, he couldn't keep up quite as well as Okada. Not that he looked terrible. Like he was still okay. Like, you know, he, he looked okay. It just wasn't at that main event level that you want Jericho, but I also can't blame him too much, you know, for how busy this guy has been, like how much he's put his buy through for how long he's done it. And um, the touring schedules he has done and in how many promotions he's wrestled for. This guy has like wrestled a lot and put his body through a lot for a very long time. Wait, 30 years. Yeah. And like it's been like nonstop, you know, so seemingly I don't remember a long period of time where Jericho was gone, at least. Um, so, I, I mean, I can't blame him too much, but that's not to say that he can't improve a little bit and kind of get like on a, a little bit better in ring shape, but it, it, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't at the level that I think everyone wanted it to be at. But like I said, I'm also understanding of it. Okada, I thought did great. I didn't have a problem with the finish. I thought the finish that actually that roll up was a great roll up pin. In my opinion, I'm usually not impressed by by roll up pins, but I, I love this one. I think that was like, that actually looked like Jericho was like, couldn't kick out of that. Yeah. I, I wasn't even mad at the finish at all. That's why I'm saying I, I didn't hate the match as much as a lot of people are complaining about it. 
I found nothing wrong with it. It seemed like it was a bridge into the next storyline almost. And that happens along the way. You can't have every match going through as you expect. It's the unexpected that makes the storyline stand out. Yep, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, and and I just think that this was the, the right person to go over as well. Because I saw some tweets saying that Jericho should have won. And I, I just don't understand that logic at all. It wouldn't be convincing to me for Jericho to win that match. Uh, when I watch wrestling, I personally want the person to win. I, I need it to be, like, convincing, like, as if it were a shoot fight where it's not predetermined. I, so, yeah, for me, I, I can't buy into the fact that Jericho would actually win this match and be the heavyweight champion of this division, at least not right now. Yeah, I mean, I felt that that was expected because I was literally expecting Jericho to win that match. But given the outcome and thinking that G1 Climax is what's coming up next, you know, obviously Jericho could enter the tournament. Then you have Okada who could enter the tournament. Kenta, who's returning to New Japan or entering New Japan, um, he entered the, well, he says he wants to enter the tournament and we're talking about Hideo Itami, who was once in NXT and WWE, who was referred to in Kenta in Japan. And you even had like Shingo and John Moxley just announced that they want to be in the G1 as well. So with that being said, a list of potential competitors include John Moxley, Kenta, Shingo, Chris Jericho, Will Ospreay, Jay White, Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, Okada, Naito, that's 10 right there. There's a whole other 10 that we could probably go on about. But with that 10 right there, what would be a dream match for you to see in that tournament? Zack Sabre Jr. versus Will Ospreay, hands down. That would be crazy. I think, you know, maybe like Kenta versus John Moxley would be a little crazy. I would love to see, you know, Will Ospreay versus Shingo again. But I, I don't want to see At some it. point, I don't think we'd get it at, uh, at G1, but... I would love to I, – I'm sure they'll do it at some point. Uh, Kenta versus Okada. Yeah, absolutely. And For a title. And as much as I would like to throw Jericho in one of my dream matches, it's crazy to think that he's my last option to choose in any of these dream matches. It's just crazy to think about what that pool could hold and the potential matchups that we could see. I just really can't wait to get to that point. But I even think like John Moxley versus Kenta would be absolutely insane. Oh, yeah. I kind of, if they were to do that match, I kind of hope it's like a street fight type of thing, some stipulation. Well, any match that John Moxley seems to be in at this point seems to become a, a street match in a sense. Well, I guess, I guess I just mean besides just the tables. He's been doing a lot of table spots lately and, and the chairs. I want to like some, uh, some kendo sticks, stuff like that. You know, just more, more stuff that he can sw- they can swing on each other. Yeah, but I, I, I would be excited to see pretty much any matchup just from those 10 alone. Um, yeah, um, and I just want to mention also one last thing about Dominion. Uh, Ishii versus Taichi, also a v- phenomenal match. That was like third mat- third favorite match for me, maybe my second. It-, it was close up there with with Naito, the Naito match, but that match was fucking incredible as well. Ishii is a monster. Yeah, absolutely. I had never seen either of them wrestle before, nor had I heard of them before that, but I was entertained by that match. Um, one thing that actually also happened from Dominion that I wanted to bring up was that the Gorillas of Destiny had issued an open challenge to pretty much anybody in the tag team division. They mentioned the Briscoes, and then they actually went as far as saying that they wanted to wrestle the Revival and the Usos. I think that would be a great cross-promotional match with either of the two teams as far as the Usos and the Revival go. But the Gorillas of Destiny versus the Usos, I think would be one hell of a match to watch just because they're pretty much from the same family tree. 
And it seems that they would have great chemistry. Yep, I'm all for that match too. I Like you said, just the great natural chemistry they would have. I already know that match would be one of the best tag matches we could see. Ever. Yeah, I, th- I think Vince should consider that because there's been some news of New Japan potentially having friction with AEW. So if Vince is looking to team up with anybody, I think an event with New Japan would actually be just what he's looking for. Yep. And he could get one hell of a tag match if he were to do that pairing. Yeah, I just think with like uh, New Japan making slide digs at WWE lately, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, I doubt that too. They did put out that tweet about Monday Night Wrestling lacking a little <laughs> something. I thought it was a great tweet, but yep. yeah, it seems that that whole pairing would be unlikely. Yeah, great tweet though. But jumping into WWE, let's go over Monday Night Raw. I mean, it's an, it was another lackluster week of Monday Night Raw. Nothing really spectacular, but it wasn't the absolute worst that we've seen, I guess, is what we could really say out of it. The yep. show opened with Seth Rollins to share that any challenger that was to go at him would need to either out-wrestle him or they could try things how Brock Lesnar did and learn the hard way, such as getting beat down with a chair as he did to Brock Lesnar. Once he mentioned all this, Baron Corbin came on out and announced that for their rematch at Stomping Grounds, that their match will have a special guest referee, and he's actually who gets to choose the special guest referee. Seth asks who would even referee for Baron Corbin, and out comes Sami Zayn, who mentions that he supports Baron Corbin being champion, and that Baron will, will return a favor down the line to more than likely give Sammy like a title shot or something like that. And when Seth asked Sammy who would even back him up as far as that kind of uh, you know support goes, Kevin Owens came on out to say he would back up Sammy Zayn, and they pretty much you know set up the match from there. Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. I mean, not much to really say about this match. It could have been a little better. It was still you know a lot of fun. It's a great pairing, and I don't think they could ever put on truly a bad match. You know, it's just not what we ever hope as far as a match on Raw goes. Sami Zayn was made the outside special guest referee by Shane McMahon, which meant he was supposed to, you know, watch around anything that happens on the outside of the ring. But Sami continued to interfere by checking on Kevin Owens multiple times. And then Sami even went as far as pulling the referee out the ring when Seth was about to win go in the ring to start taking over the match as the referee. And Seth Rollins grabbed him by the collar and Sami Zayn prematurely disqualified Seth from the match. How did you feel about this whole situation? Mm, wow. Uh, where do I begin? Um, first of all, I don't know why Baron has special powers. Are, are you like a legitimate question? Do, do you know, like, does, is there a reason why he has any say in anything? Cause I thought he lost his like, manager duties he said it was something along the lines of people he knows gave him the option which i'm assuming uh, assuming okay. shane mcmahon was the person okay. that you know gave him that kind of authority okay okay so it, this is implying that shane's like on a fucking power trip right now and he's being a dick and giving just make everyone's life uh, living hell pretty much it seems like yeah, i actually even saw somebody tweet today saying that shane needs to be the wwe champion and i was about to throw my phone into the wall Man, that's don't be surprised if like that's their plan. Like you'll take it off of Kofi or something. For all we know, that might actually happen, and it's insane to think about where he's been going. But we'll touch on him mm-hmm. a little more down the line. Um, after Seth got disqualified, Baron Corbin attempted to save Sami Zayn with a chair, and he was unsuccessful. Seth took the chair and beat Sami senseless with it, pretty much. 
Um, Kevin Owens and Baron Corbin got away from the whole situation. But, yeah, Sami Zayn took one heck of a beating. And it just makes you wonder, you know, given that the match has to be Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin at Stomping Grounds, does Sami's involvement at least put a little more interest into wanting to watch this feud? No, because uh, Sammy is being put in, like, honestly not a, a good position here, in, in my opinion. I think he – I look, I'm all for heel Sammy. That's not the issue here. I don't think him being a heel is the issue at all. I think he should be a heel, but I just don't think he should be, like, doing this referee shit and just, like, just getting, like, beat up at the end and everything. Like, Sammy's a good wrestler, so I just want to see him – I'd rather see him in – we'll talk about this later, but I'd rather see him in, like, that strong mid-card scene that they seem to be building up right now. Why can't he just be doing something like that or even in the tag division with KO? Um, but, like – and just to comment on the match real quick, that match felt like uh, like they told him to go have, like, a match from Saudi Arabia. It felt like that level with the exception of Kevin hitting that swanton bomb that he's been hitting lately, which I'm, I really want him to keep doing that. Um, other than that, th- th- this match was like nothing, and that's my point: is that they keep making these matches that have potential and that should be good if they just let it breathe and let it let them do what they can do. Um, otherwise, it's just these matches that are just like extremely underwhelming, and they're just like something like maybe a little noticeable might happen, like a swanton. But other than that, it's like I, it was so forgettable to me. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't anything for the record books at all. I just hope that they get to make it up somewhere down the line as far as, you know, bringing the quality back to matches such as a Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. But it was still at least an entertaining match for what we would expect out of Raw. Right after that, we were actually treated to, and I hate to say that we were treated to, but Lars Sullivan taking on the Lucha House Party once again in a three-on-one elimination handicap match. And he beat them in like, what, like four and a half minutes pretty much? Why are we still feeding this feud? It doesn't even seem like it's going anywhere. Hmm. Uh, you asked this as if I watched this match because I, I totally skipped this match. Um, I had it on the background. I just listened to it when I was doing other stuff. But uh, listen, I'm not – if they're going to – I would be fine watching, like, another Lars match, but I'm not going to entertain this, like, Lucha House Party versus Lars thing. Like, I'm, I'm just not into it. Like, I don't care about this. Um, so, like – this is pretty much how I'm finding out is through you uh, what goes on with anything with Lars as of late. But um, I don't know if anyone else who's listening is in agreement. It seems like it because I see on Twitter like a lot of people like really not giving a fuck about Lars at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm sorry if if, uh, if anyone's let down that I, I wasn't uh, catching this one. But I will um, possibly if, if they give him something better to do, I'll, I'll, I'll watch. But for now, I'm, I'm just checked out. Yeah, th- this is a feud not even worth watching at all. It's terrible promos, terrible wrestling, a waste of time almost. Let everybody move on and do their own thing. I mean, even in my opinion, I would just break up the Lucha House Party at that point because these guys are probably better off thriving in singles competition than they would be as a faction any day of the week. And then the situation that everybody looks into next to the Firefly Funhouse would be the 24-7 title as of recent. As much as I don't like the belt, I still love the concept of the belt and everything that's being brought to the table as far as this title goes. This week, we were seeing that R-Truth and Carmella were immediately being chased by the usual mob for the title. 
But since they had no ref, nothing could happen. And then R-Truth, Carmella, Heath Slater, EC3, Cedric Alexander, and Drake Maverick all got stuck in an elevator together. Where Truth continued to call Drake Maverick, uh, Maverick Hornswoggle. I thought that was hilarious. They bonded together over love, family, and friendship. But then once the elevator opened up, everyone went after Truth because they finally had a referee. But he still managed to escape and... The draw of the 24-7 title just continues. It seems that this is actually the highest draw that WWE currently has. And it's not getting old to me. I'm absolutely loving it. Yeah. And like I say, um, all the time, Truth is a great 24-7 champion. Uh, and I'm glad that they, they let him keep it still. Yeah, but and- Drake Maverick deserves a lot of credit, honestly. He has been doing some great things as far as the 24-7 title has been going. I mean, he's been doing fan interactions on Twitter. He's even hitched rides with fans, apparently, to get to the shows and then giving them tickets and used fans in protests, like, at the arena. So I want to say that he truly deserves some credit as well in this. Yeah, I mean, you can even give him the title at some point. That's what that title's for, you know? It's to give credit to the wrestlers who kind of haven't been getting it and give them a little bit of a spotlight. But overall, I was, you know, for... I would expect me personally not to like a segment like this, but I was into it. I, I kind of liked it. it. It was that dumb WWE humor, humor that I was fine with because at least they gave EC3 to do something. At least they, and it wasn't like overall terrible. And um, it seems like they're really also starting to play into this EC3 kind of apathetic gimmick where he's kind of dejected. And it's just like, like a borderline like casual alcoholic almost. And like, if they're going to go with that, it's better at least than nothing, than not even, like, having him talk or anything. I appreciate that he was able to talk, and, like, he had that exchange with Drake Maverick um, where he, he said he's his best man. I, I, I didn't even watch Impact, and I even thought that was funny. Like, uh, just to see that they, like, they are comfortable with showing each other, like, friendship on screen. I want more of, like, that authenticity. Uh, and I like that, like, even Carmelo laughed at... Um, at the Hornswoggle comment. Like, that seemed like a shoot laugh. And I, I was, like, all into this uh, segment. And I, I so far don't really have any issues with how they booked this 24-7 title. So that's, like, the one thing besides the Bray Wyatt stuff that I've really been enjoying, along yeah, with uh, they, Cesaro's booking. They could just keep it coming for me. Like, I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. They're killing it on social media. They're killing it when they're on TV. I felt that the people who were trapped in the elevator are – I felt it was almost like symbolic as if they're trapped in that creative box right now where they're not really where they want to be. And EC3 kind of put out a cryptic message today saying to like, just trust the future because a lot of the time we're not able to grow is when we're afraid of what the future can hold. So, I mean, I think maybe not only was that post symbolic for maybe what the future might hold for him, but maybe even the situation that happened yesterday, maybe we're going to see more out of somebody like an EC3 or a Cedric Alexander, or a Heath Slater, wrestlers that we know to be extremely entertaining, but haven't been utilized to the way they can be. This title is giving them that platform, and I want them to just keep feeding me that content because it has been excellent. Yeah, I, I just hope they do follow through with that. Like, that's a great idea, but I hope they do follow through with it, with, like, pushing these guys who are in the elevator, because then I also get a little discouraged because... I see, and not to like ramble about this too long, but just um, Zack Ryder and, and Kurt Hawkins, them, are, they win the tag titles at WrestleMania just to drop it and really have nothing. They haven't been on TV with those tag titles even, I think maybe like one week where they had a match, if that, um, and it was like a nothing match if they did, because I can't remember it at all. But 
yeah, so I, I just hope that they, they actually do push on these guys. No, absolutely. And we're going to talk about the tag titles shortly since there was a tag title match. But the next segment was actually Miz TV with Samoa Joe. And I felt that this was maybe the second best highlight of the night next to the 24-7 title and Firefly Funhouse situation. Miz started interviewing Joe by questioning his actions against Rey Mysterio last week when Rey was relinquishing the U.S. title to Joe. And, you know, Miz asked about uh, crossing the line as far as attacking family since Joe was continuously talking about Ray's Dominic's son. And, you know, Joe even showed up at like AJ Styles' family's like situation and all that at their house. Um, You know, Samoa Joe being the character that he is, he came back and he said that the lines belong to Miz and that when it comes to getting what he wants, there's no such thing as going too far. And it seemed that we were about to get a Miz versus Samoa Joe match. But then Braun Strowman came out to challenge Joe. Lashley came out to challenge Joe and say that uh, he's done, you know, messing around with Braun. Ricochet came out and said that he deserved a U.S. title shot given that he had just beaten Cesaro. And then Cesaro came out, didn't even say a word, and just flat out attacked Ricochet. And we got a six-man tag match out of it, the inevitable six-man tag match. And we had Braun, Miz, and Ricochet versus Cesaro, Lashley, and Samoa Joe, where Braun, Miz, and Ricochet actually picked up the victory. I thought this match was a lot of fun. It had a decent amount of time, a lot of action, six incredible wrestlers. And although it ended on a scary note where Ricochet hit his finisher on Cesaro's knees, and we thought maybe Cesaro might have like actually hurt his knee, we found out all is okay. Cesaro's not hurt. And the match ended, you know, on a very good note. Yeah, so I was really, really into the segment when Miz came out first because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm maybe not everyone will be, but I'm into uh, Miz versus Samoa Joe uh, U.S. title feud. That sounds good to me. And then they brought Braun out, and I thought that was interesting because I remember Braun and, and Samoa Joe's uh, in ring chemistry before they. They, for some reason, you know, a lot of times the two big guys together don't work in a match, but I really like them together. So I'm still into seeing them wrestle That's because each other. Samoa Joe has, like, you know, that little guy agility and stuff like that to him, but he, he has the mass of a big guy. So I think that's where he brings that different kind of element into a big guy versus big guy match. Yeah, and we don't get that too often at all. So I think it just balances out, bounces, balances it out really nicely. And I, I would love to see that match still, whether it be a one-on-one or triple threat, uh, however they do. I, I want to see them in the ring again together. Um, and, and besides just a tag match, I, I want like, you know, them actually facing each other and, and have some higher stakes than just like this uh, tag match. Ju- that's just to get everyone on screen basically, because after uh Braun Strowman came out, then Lashley came out. And that's at the point of the segment where I was like, Oh, okay. Now I kind of see where they're going with this. They're going to just keep bringing guys out. And I, I kind of like fell out of it a little bit once I saw Lashley come out. And that sucked because when Lashley returned on raw initially a couple months back or however long no, it was, ago, it was, it was, maybe it was like a year Oh, man. Jeez. Okay. Um, well, however long ago that he was, he came back, um, when he did come back, I was, like, really, really into it. I, I just thought they should have pushed him to the moon, and they didn't. So now just the way they booked him, I'm just dejected from, uh, from Bobby Lashley. But I want to like him, and I hope that this is them, like, kind of bring him back on the right track. It's going to take some time if they do, but I think this is a good start to do it because then after that, they brought out uh, Ricochet and Cesaro, 
And Cesaro just about to say something on the mic, but doesn't. And just Dex Rick, I think he Dex Ricochet in the face. Um, he decks someone in the face, and they go down. And that that was awesome. I I like that Rick, that Cesaro didn't like waste our time saying a nothing promo because that's what this started to become was just like, oh, I'm coming out now. No, I'm coming out now, and I'm, this is why I want to face for the U.S. title at some point in the next couple of weeks or something. Um, so, you know, the match was good. The match was was a lot of fun. Um, it'll be interesting where, to see where they go with this, but I actually kind of like that they're building, they're, they're showing us, hey, this is our mid-card title, and it's actually pretty fucking solid. And granted, maybe Braun should already be past that. It's nice that they're at least putting him back on track, putting him uh, as that aggressive, just coming down the ring and going to kick your ass type of guy that he should always be. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing him in this U.S. title uh, scene. And like I said, he would be my dream match against Samoa Joe. Okay, so that would be your dream match against Samojo because I was going to ask who would deserve the U.S. title shot, and if you could book it, what match would you book? So that would be the match? I mean, that, that's definitely, like, if I could only get a singles match, that'd probably be my favorite. I don't know if that's the best way to go for everyone, though. I don't know if that's best for the crowd. That's just for me personally. But no matter how you go with it, honestly, as long as it's not just Samojo versus Lashley, honestly, I think you can go with either these, any of these other guys, and it will, like, be an amazing match if they just let it be that match we know it i would be. honestly take braun and lashley out the picture and i would do any mix of samoa joe versus miz ricochet or cesaro or if they were to do a fatal four any triple threat of the three out of the four yeah i, I guess um why i don't say ricochet is because i don't think ricochet needs that title just yet um i think braun is someone who could kind of use something just to kind of get everyone like back focused on him and i think that's someone who's like dominant who can beat samojo at some point and even if not if samojo beat him that would make samojo look really strong so i don't no matter who wins in that match the um the person who wins will end up looking really strong and i think the person who loses will still look pretty decent because i think that match will be a lot of fun but you can also go in into like a triple threat or fatal four-way however you want to do it if you want to do the six-way uh five-way whatever you want to do with it sure i i think that with this talent you have right here, you can't do too much wrong as long as you just don't let it be that nothing match that they love to do so often. Yeah, I mean, you you have a great set of talent right there, and any combination of those six guys would be great for any sort of a feud. The next uh, segment of the show, well, kind of, you know, bouncing around here a little bit, but Alexa Bliss and Lacey Evans took on Becky Lynch and Bailey. But before all this happened, you had an interview with Michael Cole in which he interviewed Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans simultaneously via webcast, even though they were all in the same building. Becky Lynch and Lacey had their usual banter back and forth. Becky actually told Lacey to grab her granny panties and meet her in the ring and that she'll see her later on. So they ended up, you know, having the match set up. Alexa Bliss was even seen in the back before uh, the match with Nikki Cross discussing Bailey, and Renee and even myself thought that at one point Alexa called Bailey a hometown hooker, but she actually said hometown hugger. So that was a little bit of a scare because you thought that they were starting to break that PG version of kayfabe, I guess, in a sense, and it got a little scary for a second, but that got clarified on air at least. And I was actually wondering if maybe they took that out of Hulu because I know Hulu usually has those edits in there. But with the match itself, Lacey caught Bailey with a women's right after Bailey put her knees up to a twisted bliss. And Lacey Evans was able to pick up the victory via pinfall for her and Alexa Bliss. 
the weird thing at the end though was Lacey Evans wiping her armpits with her handkerchief, and it makes you wonder: is she classy or not? I didn't even catch that. So good. It was really disgusting. She even kind of like sniffed it almost or like waved it at herself. And it's like, I don't know. That was like, you're supposed to be uh, classy. Yeah, that's that's like objectively disgusting. Um, So overall thoughts on this. First of all, Alexa continues to kill it. Uh, I love how good she is. Like just being that perfect balance of uh, in WWE character where it's like she's not like an amazing actress but she definitely is like much better than most of the roster so it's like it's like just exactly what you need to be to be a really good wwe superstar in your storylines and on your promos so i think she like has that exact balance that you want to look for where like she's not like too good at acting you still like want that like cheesiness that like cheesy wwe side of it but like it was exactly what you need for that for that segment where it's like you know she's obviously going to turn on Nikki. So I think like her acting gets like that story across so well and like can't say enough about that. Um, let's see. So and then the match itself, um, the match was fine. I thought. Um, I think at some point like um, Lacey Evans didn't like uh, jump when no Bayley that was tried to that was in a dark match. Oh, that was a dark match. Yeah, that was a dark match. So there's a video that went out on Twitter, for those who haven't seen it, uh, where Bailey went to hit the Bailey to belly on Lacey Evans and what people call sandbagging. Lacey didn't seem to put any sort of effort to sell the move. And it just seemed very effortlessly done and as if Bailey couldn't, you know, hold up Lacey Evans. And it just takes away from the quality of the move at that point. Yeah, so people were saying that, like, you know, Lacey wasn't helping uh, Bailey do that maneuver because she's supposed to jump with it so that she's not picking up all that weight on her own. Um, so I'm um, just interested to, to see if that was intentional or just she – I would think it's intentional, but you also wouldn't expect that for someone who is expecting, like, this push and being so focused on right now and getting a lot of criticism, too, um, overall from everyone. I, I would want to say this. I wouldn't want to just immediately put blame on Lacey, you know, as if she didn't try or anything like that. Maybe for all we know, it was poor timing. She honestly has been doing great work. I've been loving her promos. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure that with the work schedule that they have, and especially given that she had a match earlier that night, and then she has to go back in there later and do it again, she's probably a little tired. I mean, think about it. Probably by the time she's out there doing this stuff, although they're in California... Think about her traveling all around the country and then probably going from East Coast time to West Coast time and, you know, hitting a, a two-in-one-night sort of situation as far as the show goes. I, I would say maybe, yeah. you know, it's a little bit of weariness as far as her work schedule. And we shouldn't fully hold her to blame, but we would definitely hope that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and um, one thing I also wanted to say is I noticed that I've completely forgotten to talk about Becky Lynch in this entire thing, and that seems to be like a weekly thing now. I have just been kind of forgetting Becky's role needs because I I wasn't into that uh, interview webcast thing with Michael Cole and Becky and Lacey. Like it, it just seems it seems super scripted, and and when it wasn't scripted, the bits that were like just them like saying these little one-liners, it was just, it seemed petty and, like, just nonsense, like, no one cares, and they, like, they just weren't even good, like, Lacey, this wasn't even, that was, like, one of, like, her worst uh, overall promos, Uh, she's usually better with the live crowd, it seems like, Uh, I don't know if that's just me noticing or what, but 
Uh, Becky, just it's it's like I really liked her when she initially turned heel, uh, when she turned on Charlotte. But like ever since she's been like a face, and especially when she won the the two titles, for me, I'm just like she's not doing anything like outright bad. I'm just like not seeming to remember. It's 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 just kind of forgettable. It just, for me. it just doesn't get as good as it did leading into that WrestleMania. So it's like when yep. you go past that and you're still trying to push the same thing, yeah, it still sells overall to most of the people. But, you know, to true wrestling fans, it doesn't consistently remain the same. But I'll never take away from what Becky did because she is one of the first women to ever be in the main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. And jumping into, you know, a little more women's tag team matches, we had the Iconics against Aaliyah Mia and Lisa Lace, who was San Jose's best tag team, apparently, even though they're in a locker room full of the top women's talent in the world. And the Iconics won and defended their tag titles. But it's been about two months since before that that they actually defended their tag titles. And now we're left wondering who's going to even wrestle them for the tag titles. It seems like they're running out of ideas as far as that goes. I mean, who would you want to see them defend against? Who the Iconics should defend against? Um, Alexa Bliss versus Nikki Cross. Or you can go with... uh with Kyrie Sane and Asuka, either one of those is fine. Yeah, I know Paige tweeted today at the Iconics when they put up something similar about that, and she sent them a gif of Asuka and uh, Kyrie Sane. So I would love to see that ideally, but I think the most suitable opponents that they have right now would be like an Alexa Bliss and a Nikki Cross. <laughs> I think they would make a great team, and since their storyline isn't something that would make them like a permanent team in the scene, that they would be great temporary champions in passing. And also, I mean, as far as the women's tag titles go, they were advertised to be defended in NXT as well. I mean, is NXT even going to form any women's tag teams that could potentially step up and take the titles? I mean, the only team I've noticed they seem to be building up is like Aaliyah and Vanessa Bourne. And that's a team I would just have to put other teams over. Yeah, and then you also have uh, uh, what's Shayna Baszler's team. Uh, they also seem to be a, a suitable tag team that could fit that role, but it doesn't seem that they're getting you know a push for themselves, but more so just to back Shayna. I although I could see them still giving that team the tight the tag titles, even though I really wouldn't want to see it because I think Marina Shafir just isn't at that level at that championship level yet. I do think Justin Duke will be soon. I think she has a lot more potential, but not to go too off topic, but. Yeah, I mean, well, no, it's not even off topic because the question is right now is the tag titles being defended on NXT. And I think they would actually be great opponents because they're both very hard hitting, fierce wrestling women. And I think they would be well suited champions to hold those titles. But I would kind of hope it's down the line, maybe once they reach the main roster with Shayna, I think that would be a great time. And putting a faction like that on the main roster would be great for women's wrestling sooner or later. Yeah. Paul Heyman cut a promo mentioning uh, no more Mr. Nice Jew and no more Mr. Nice Beast that Brock Lesnar will no longer share when he plans to cash in, that he may or may not be in the current city that Raw travels to. And there's just no more courtesy of him letting anybody know as far as when he will strike. So are we in store for a more well-planned cash-in? And what's your ideal situation as far as, far as a cash-in would go with Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar? 
my ideal situation is that we get a swerve and he cashes in on Kofi. I'm much more into that match than another Brock versus Seth. But if I won't be like super upset if we get Brock versus Seth. That's probably still what we're going to get. I'm pretty sure we're still getting that. Um, I would think they're going to do that at SummerSlam. I think that would be a decent time to do it at. But at the same time, it might be too predictable. So, you know, Vince doesn't sometimes with these like bigger things that he actually puts some thinking into. Um, it uh, He doesn't always go with the predictable route. So I don't know if that is what's going to happen. But ideally, you could cash it in at SummerSlam. And I would love to for them to have like a real match and not have Seth do the low blows and win in like a clean way. You yeah, know? I mean, there was once a time where Brock Lesnar was able to wrestle Kurt Angle and it was believable as far as Kurt beating him. <clears throat> But I do yep. agree with you. I think, and I've been saying it for a while now, that I think that Brock cashing in on Kofi would be a great way to, you know, bring value back to the Money in the Bank contract, especially if you wait it out closer to the time that WWE is going to transition into Fox. You obviously need to boost up your viewers. And I think a situation like that would be very unpredictable, great for the storyline, and would boost that viewership as far as that would go because you're putting the title on Brock. Brock isn't on Raw anymore. It brings value to SmackDown. And then Raw still retains its value with the superstars that they have. Yeah, I would love if Brock cashed in on a SmackDown. Like, after a Kofi main event, like a really, really good match or something, Like where, and he just barely escapes something, and then Brock cashes in and like, dicks him over and just, like, destroys him. I, I would be, like, super into that. You know, I, I would. I just want something to, like, I want something that like, actually surprised me on TV, like, it seems like when we tune in, it's like we just like kind of know what we're getting already. And like there's just never anything surprising anymore. Like I, I seriously can't remember the last time anything's been like genuinely surprising on a Raw or SmackDown. Yeah, but I think that would that would be a great way to twist it on up for us because Brock started, I think, well, he started on Raw. But, you know, if you ask me, I, 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 Barely. I think he really started on SmackDown for real. Uh, because yep. He he only had a couple matches on Raw, and then he went right to SmackDown. That's where like his amazing like yeah he just sky, he skyrocketed from there. So I mean, if you ask me, like it all started for Brock on SmackDown. I think it would only be right that he goes back to the brand for a little bit, and especially when that new contract for TV does start up with Fox. And yep, Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre celebrated Shane's win over Roman Reigns. They drank champagne out of the Crown Jewel Best in the World World Cup trophy. Renee said that's dirty. Yeah, oh yeah, it was definitely. There's no way that that was clean. I mean, maybe yeah, they probably no. cleaned it right before that. But that trophy has been all kinds of places. I don't want to know what may have or may not have been in that uh, trophy previously. But he still drank out of it. They actually put Moet in there, which is I don't want to say the most expensive champagne, but it's definitely pricey champagne. It's 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 the McMahon's can afford it. Yeah, well, no, I mean Moet Moet is <laughs> averagely priced. It's about like sixty a bottle. The one they had, I think, was a more so around like the eighty to hundred dollar range. Um, but you know, to think that he still drank that out of that dirty cup, it's not even worth that price <laughs> at that point. I can't imagine some. They had to have some like intern clean that thing before. I can't imagine Shane looked at that and be like, I got a drink out of that. Like, I yeah, that, so. that's like, my I, assumption. I, They'd have somebody clean it. Let, let's let's just say that that happened so we can, like, have peace of mind. <laughs> exactly. Let's have some peace of mind at this point. But, you know, obviously Roman Reigns was brought up since that's what the celebration was about. And Drew mentioned that he's going to humiliate Roman at stomping grounds. But I believe and I wonder how you believe about this or what you believe about this, that Drew, the longer he's with Shane, his value just continues to go down. And I just don't see any 
thing he's getting out of this situation unless he were to down the line turn on Shane. Yeah, that's what I would think too. Um, so I don't know how they're going to end this because is it because that means well is it going to be time relatively soon for Drew to turn face because or I guess you could have him turn on on Shane and still be a heel. You could still totally yeah, do absolutely because so. Shane isn't just being a heel; he's just being a flat out prick. So it's yeah, not even yeah, that he's so, playing heel or face. He is literally just being an asshole. Yeah, because like Drew is obviously going to get a pop when he does uh, turn on Shane, but like he can just go back to being like a huge dick and just being like that dominant guy where he's just demanding like that title in that main event scene. So yeah, you can just go back yeah, to doing that because you got a lot of mileage with Drew as a heel, and like he needs to be booked in that way because like we barely we just started to see that with Dolph where he had that potential, and then he kind of like was just buried in in the background when he started being in these like three man tags and with Shane and all that. So like we just need more of this that solo push as as a full on heel with with Drew way before we get into that face territory. Yeah, exactly. I think that you know it's a little more down the line, but I think it could be played out extremely well. If all the cards fall right, uh, the revival came out to celebrate with them, but they were told they can't drink with Shane and Drew because they had a match coming right up. And that match was the revival versus Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins versus the Usos for the tag team titles in a triple threat in which the revival snuck their victory through a blind tag. And they were able to pull off the, the win after one of the Usos hit their finishing move on, I forgot if it was Zack Ryder or Kurt Hawkins, but they were able to still pull off that victory. And it makes you want to know, now that the Revival, they have the titles, does this boost the value of the division, and who will they defend against next? Yes, it does boost the value of the division. I think Vince likes the Revival more as a, as a tag team and as champions. Um, I think they are going to get better booking as a result. And I think the division is going to be taken more seriously. Um, are the Usos going to be the ones to take it off of them? I don't know who else would be. I mean, you could still, I mean, you, you got your wrestlers who you, WWE can always just make into a tag team, right? So like Kevin and, and Sammy, they're like the auxiliary tag where like, if you need them, they're always there, you know, that that's always, and you can always make them champions if you want to, no problem. Um, there's so many good wrestlers on the Raw roster right now that, like, they can do that, and especially with this wild card rule, it's even easier, especially because they can, it, you can pretty much challenge for any title, like how Alexa's challenging for the SmackDown title, it doesn't matter anymore, so I, I can't honestly say who's going to take it off the Revival, because I think the Usos taking off the Revival will be, like, um, it might be too predictable, too straightforward, and just too soon in general for the Usos to already get another tag team championship because they've held it plenty uh, in the past, and like they're one of my favorite tag teams uh, overall. But uh, I-, I also want to see like more with them anyway, and I don't want to just see them like with the revival as as great as like the matches they can put on, and as great as both teams are. I just want to see more from both of them, and I and. For them having a wild card rule, they need to like utilize this more with the tag team division because it's getting like. Even though I like both teams, like that's all we get with the tag division is these two teams. So just we have such a big roster, utilize it more, make new tags if you have to, but just do something to to change it up. Well, let's not forget we have the Viking Raiders now that they're available and they're back and ready to go on Raw. AOP is back and healthy from uh, injury and now they're ready to go as well. And there's still a number of teams that could be set together that we're awaiting to, you know, just pop up and you know, show themselves in the division as well. 
So I think we have some options available for us. I would really like the Viking Raiders to jump back into the picture because last time we saw them, they pinned the at the time champions. I feel that they're pretty much owed a title shot or at least a chance to contend for the titles. So throw them in the mix. Have them versus the Usos versus AOP and whoever wins gets the chance against the Revival. Yeah, and we've already seen what uh, War Raiders can do with – or you know what I mean? Viking experience <laughs> the, can the do. The Viking Raiders or the Viking experience or whatever it is at this point. They just need to give us a name. Viking Raiders, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Man, this has done so much damage. We can't even remember their names. Like, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know what to do about the name at this point. But the final subject that we have in the most fun, no pun intended, subject that we have to speak on is the Firefly Funhouse. Bray Wyatt was starting off the segment by hanging a sign on his door that read, Abandon all hope, yay who exit here. And we wonder if that's a sign for things to come as far as people going through that door. We want to know now what's on the other side of that door. And then we go and we see that Rambling Rabbit was swatting at Mercy the Buzzard because Mercy was trying to eat him and mentioning him that it was mentioning to him that it's just the law of the jungle that he's just trying to survive. And then we cut to a different scene where Rambling Rabbit shares that he's going to expose what's really going on in the Firefly Funhouse, but Bray grabs him by the head to silence him and then smashes Rambling Rabbit with a hammer. Bray then tastes Rambling Rabbit's blood and advertises Rambling Rabbit's Bohemian Breakfast Spread. Would you buy any? If they sold this on the WWE shop for like not $20, you know, something like reasonable, I'd... No, I wouldn't get it, but I, w- I would still think it's just, I think it's hilarious overall. Rambling Rabbit, it, to me, is like ridiculously funny for some reason. I don't know why every time he comes on and starts talking, I lose my shit. And this whole thing, the Bohemian, <laughs> anytime they mention the Bohemian thing, like I lose my mind. Like it's, it's so funny to me, like just what the words that Bray chooses to use in his promos and his storyline is so fucking funny to me. And it's it was like such a, like this was like one of the weirdest and creepiest um segments which i think is exactly what you want to do um i think you want to like hey like yeah we had the muscle man dance last week but like remember this shit's still like spooky as fuck so i i this is just another one of those like goes back to what i was saying um you want to just keep this going for quite a while and like this is another one of the segments segments that can keep it going and I'm totally fine with it. Um, and I really liked at the end that Bray was blowing kisses to the camera. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's just getting more and more flawless with each and every segment that comes out. And I think now that we're starting to see this kind of content as far as revealing what the fun house is really about and the signs that mention abandon all hope, yay who exit here. I feel that the next few episodes, we are in for one hell of a twist and a turn. As far as where Bray Wyatt is going with this, it was reported that he was actually at Raw Live this week. So you wonder if now they're starting to gear toward that direction. I hope so. Uh, Raw seems like the show he should be on. Uh, to me, Raw is more about those like wild characters, and then SmackDown is where you want to get more of that, like that technical wrestling or like those storylines, like the, the Kofi and Dolph storylines. Like that's a perfect example of like that SmackDown style where it's it's not so much about the powerhouses and uh, the weird uh, gimmicks going on. So I think Bray will like definitely shine on Raw, but you know, with that wild card rule thing, I'm sure we'll see him on SmackDown plenty, especially once they start up on Fox. Yeah, and I can't wait for it. I mean, Bray's always been one of my favorites since I jumped back into the wrestling wor- uh, world. 
And I, I know he's going to come back with, I don't want to say a vengeance, but he's definitely going to create a bang once he's officially back in the ring. I hope he does come back with a vengeance. Um, and I, and like I said before, I hope he comes up with a new finisher. That's just like, it looks like super devastating. Like I, I'm like really excited to see what he, he has planned for this for like the in-ring return. Absolutely. And I, I just can't wait, but Kev, that's going to wrap up the fifth episode today. I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank everybody that's tuned in so far. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SmartCast, S-M-A-R-K-A-S-T, on both Instagram and Twitter. You know, let us know if you have ever any opinions or questions or comments at all that you want us to bring up on the show. We would definitely love to hear what our fans have to say. But nonetheless, thank you all again for tuning in, and I hope you all have a wonderful night. Yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. Take care.